Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Charlotte, we've got an interesting development on the upcoming UN climate talks, COP28. Oh, do tell, Diego. So it appears that the United Arab Emirates, the host of these talks, had plans to use this platform to negotiate oil and gas deals. This was revealed in leaked documents. Wait, hold on a minute. Isn't the whole point of these climate talks to discuss ways to combat climate change? Isn't that a bit contradictory? You're spot on, Charlotte. It's a rather surprising revelation. The documents suggest that the UAE was planning to discuss fossil fuel deals with 15 nations. That's quite a number. And what's the response from the UN body responsible for the summit? Well, they've stated that hosts are expected to act without bias or self-interest. And what's the UAE's take on this? The UAE team hasn't denied using the meetings for business talks. They've said private meetings are private. They've declined to comment on what was discussed in the meetings and stated that their work has been focused on meaningful climate action. That's quite a diplomatic response. So what were these talking points mentioned in the documents? Well, they included proposals for collaboration on international LNG opportunities with China, support for Colombia to develop its fossil fuel resources, and similar points for 13 other countries. And it's not just about fossil fuels. The UAE also prepared talking points on commercial opportunities for its state renewable energy company, Mazdar. So they're playing both sides of the field, it seems. But this is quite a serious allegation, isn't it? I mean, these are the world's most important meetings to discuss how to tackle climate change. Exactly, Charlotte. The UNFCC states that COP presidents are expected to act without bias, prejudice, or self-interest. This revelation could potentially undermine the credibility of the summit and even hinder progress on tackling climate change. And with the urgent need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, this is not something we can afford. Absolutely, Charlotte. It's a complex situation, and it remains to be seen how this will impact the outcome of the summit. From the world of climate change and energy politics, we now turn our attention to a different kind of energy, the energy of quantum computing. In a groundbreaking development that's set to redefine the boundaries of technology, the University of Tokyo and IBM have made a significant announcement. Stay tuned as we delve into the details of this quantum leap in computing power. Charlotte, today's tech news is a quantum leap, literally. The University of Tokyo, in collaboration with IBM, has announced the deployment of a 127-qubit IBM Quantum Eagle processor. That's right, Diego. This isn't just a new processor. It's Japan's first IBM Quantum System 1. It's a significant milestone for the Quantum Innovation Initiative Consortium. And let's not forget, it's the region's first utility-scale processor. IBM defines utility-scale as the point at which quantum computers could serve as scientific tools to explore a new scale of problems. This is a big deal because... Because as IBM and UC Berkeley scientists demonstrated earlier this year, quantum computers can produce results at a scale of more than 100 qubits, surpassing leading classical approaches. It's a whole new frontier. Exactly, Charlotte. Hiroaki Aihara, executive vice president of Utokyo, has said that the limit of what can be simulated by a supercomputer is about 50 qubits. This new quantum computer can perform large-scale and complex calculations that would be impossible without it. And it's not just about the number of qubits, it's about the potential applications. 
scientists intend to use this system for quantum research in diverse fields like bioinformatics, high-energy physics, materials science, and even finance. Right, Charlotte. The University of Tokyo, since joining the IBM Quantum Network in 2019, has been expanding access to quantum computing in Japan. This new quantum system, with its advanced hardware and tools, will allow Utopio to explore how error mitigation can enable accuracy. It's fascinating, Diego. Utopio is also joining other pioneering organizations and universities as part of IBM's recently established working groups. These groups aim to advance the value of quantum computing in various sectors, including healthcare, life sciences, high-energy physics, materials, and optimization. Absolutely, Charlotte. Jay Gambetta, IBM Fellow and Vice President IBM Quantum, said they're excited to collaborate with QII consortium organizations on problems that will push the limits of today's quantum systems. It's a thrilling time in the world of quantum computing. Indeed, Diego. It's not just about pushing the boundaries of science and technology, but also about how these advancements can contribute to society. It's a testament to the power of collaboration between industry, academia, and government. From the cutting-edge world of quantum computing, we now turn our attention to a pressing issue that affects us all. As we marvel at the advancements of technology, we must also confront the realities of our own impact on the world we inhabit. Let's shift gears and delve into the human role in the current climate crisis. Today, we're tackling a heavy topic, Diego. We're discussing the human role in the current climate crisis. A topic that's becoming increasingly relevant, Charlotte as record high temperatures, deluges, droughts, and wildfires become more common, we need to understand how we got here. Absolutely, Diego. For centuries, humans have been shaping the world around them. We've drained lakes, dug up billions of tons of coal, oil, and gas, and exploited nature to fuel our societies. That's right. And this exploitation has remade the planet's climate and brought us to the brink of catastrophe. Take Mexico City, for example. Originally built on islands in the midst of Lake Texcoco, now most of the lake is gone, drained to make room for the sprawling metropolis. And it's not just about draining lakes. Huge swaths of land have been deforested for agriculture or livestock grazing, or degraded and contaminated by quarrying and mining for metals and minerals. Exactly, Charlotte. And this exploitation of nature isn't new. Historians point to the colonization of the Americas in the 16th, 16th, and 17th centuries as an early catalyst for our modern-day climate and environmental crises. The colonizers brought with them the idea that conquest and development of landscapes would change the climate, usually for the better. But it wasn't just about changing the landscape, was it? It was also about controlling the energy resources. The Aztecs built Tenochtitlan, what is now Mexico City, on the lakes, islands, and Chinampas, small artificial fields. But when the city fell under Spain's rule, it was seen as a jewel in the Spanish Empire, and the Spanish pursued drainage projects to keep the city dry and prosperous. But not everyone benefited equally. Right, Charlotte. The capital-owning elites implemented a system of extracting resources and labor from the countryside to benefit the city, and more broadly from the colonies, for the gain of the home country. Rural populations, who contributed the most to the project through coerced labor, didn't benefit. It seems like a common theme throughout history, Diego. The idea of controlling nature and the environment for progress, progress, often benefiting a select few at the expense of many. 
And all this while contributing to the emissions and environmental degradation we're grappling with today. And it's not just about the past, Charlotte. These ideas of environmental control, productivity, and growth as positive are making it harder to tackle the current climate crisis. Today, we see nations struggling to commit to degrowth, despite the recognition of climate change as a real threat. And it's not just about cutting down emissions, is it? It's also about rethinking the need for persistent growth and operating within the restrictions of finite resources and atmospheric limits. That's a great point, Charlotte. As historian Frederick Albritton Janssen puts it, there are two kinds of boundaries to this economy. One is the upper boundary of planetary limits, and then there's a lower boundary that would guarantee minimum social needs, entitlements, the right to education, clean water, a steady income. It's about balancing these two boundaries. It's a delicate balance indeed, Diego. But as we face increasing climate crises, it's a balance we must strive to achieve. We must remember that our actions today will determine the future of our planet. Well said, Charlotte. It's a sobering thought, but one that we need to keep in mind as we navigate the challenges ahead. As we continue to grapple with the realities of our changing climate, it's clear that we need all the help we can get. But what if that help came from an unexpected source? What if the very nature we've exploited could hold some of the answers we're desperately seeking? Stay tuned as we delve into a fascinating new study that suggests plants might just be an underappreciated ally in our fight against climate change. Charlotte, have you ever felt that plants are underappreciated? Well, Diego, I can't say I've given it much thought. Why do you ask? A new study suggests that plants may be our secret weapon in the fight against climate change. They might be capable of absorbing more CO2 than we previously thought. That sounds promising, but I'm guessing there's a however coming? You know me too well, Charlotte. Yes, the same scientists are quick to emphasize that this doesn't mean we can relax our efforts to reduce emissions. Planting more trees and protecting existing vegetation is important, but it's not a magic bullet. So we can't just plant our way out of this crisis. Exactly. Dr. Jürgen Gnauer, who led the research team, explains that while plants do absorb a significant amount of CO2, the extent to which they can continue to do so is uncertain, especially with changes in temperature and rainfall patterns. Right, because climate change could also lead to more intense droughts and severe heat, which could weaken the ability of terrestrial ecosystems to absorb CO2. Absolutely. But what's interesting about this study is that they used a more complex model that accounted for critical physiological processes that affect how plants conduct photosynthesis. The result was a more optimistic projection of how much CO2 vegetation could absorb globally. So the more we understand about how plants work, the better we can predict their role in mitigating climate change. But again, this doesn't mean we can just sit back and let the trees do all the work. Right. As Sylvia Calderaru, one of the researchers involved in the study, puts it, trees alone cannot offer humanity a get-out-of-jail-free card. We still need to cut down emissions across all sectors. But this research does suggest that nature-based solutions like reforestation could have a larger impact than we thought. It's a reminder of how interconnected ev everything is. The physics of climate change, the biology of plants, our human activities, they all play a role in this complex problem, and they all need to be part of the solution. Well said, Charlotte. 
and it underlines the importance of scientific research in helping us understand and address this crisis. Every bit of knowledge brings us one step closer to a sustainable future.